welcome to Book Recos Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Recos. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. You'll know that my 2023 was dominated by Kristen Hanna and I've fallen in love with every book of hers that I've read so far. And I cannot believe I am saying this, but Kristen Hanna is joining us on the podcast today. Her new book, The Women, tells the story of those who served in Vietnam and the divide the war created in the States. It's absolutely brilliant and we cannot wait to hear more about it from the author herself. Kristen, welcome. It is an absolute honour to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It is absolutely wonderful to be here. No, definitely a pinch me moment for us. Um, So Kristen, it's your latest book that we're here to talk about first today, The Women, and it publishes in February. So please, could you kick things off just by telling our listeners what it's all about? Oh, I would love to. Thank you. Um, So this is a book, um, I guess I would say about the unsung heroes of the Vietnam War, the women who volunteered to serve you know, their country and went to war in Vietnam and what they experienced over there and sort of everything, the, the combat, the danger, the friendship, you know, the really intense uh, situation of war that these women went through together. And then their, their journey of sort of recovery and self-acceptance and understanding of what they went through when they came back home to an America that was deeply politically divided and and angry. Not a whole lot unlike how America is today, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I know your passion is telling women's lost historical stories, and this one, more so than ever, represents the stories of women that have been forgotten. So firstly, thank you for bringing it to everyone's attention. I definitely didn't know so thank you um I'm obsessed with reading author's notes and acknowledgements and (laughs) I spent most of this book so excited to get to the acknowledgements (laughs) of the women um because I can just imagine so much research needed to go into a story as important as this uh and I couldn't believe when I got to the acknowledgements that you first had the idea for this novel in 1997 so please can you tell us a bit more about that and then how the story grew over time I would love to. And by the way, thank you for adding more pressure to an author on now our author's notes as well. Oh, it doesn't need to be well written. I just love to see who they thank and how they thought of the ideas. I just live for the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. You know what? I do too, actually. Sometimes I'll admit I actually read like acknowledgements and things before, uh, oh. which is a terrible thing to do. But anyway, um, so yeah, I... Uh, 1997 so I was 37 years old uh, and I first pitched this idea to my my then editor who was you know a decade older than me and had actually been at the University of California at Berkeley in the late 60s so this was very much um, a story that was in her wheelhouse and that she understood and she felt very strongly about and she, you know, very kindly and and quietly took me aside and said, you know, you aren't old enough to write this story yet. And, you know, you need to be a better writer. This need, you have to fire on, on all pistons to pull this book off. And so I listened to her because she was really smart and 
And it was a scary and daunting subject. You know, I knew it was going to be a lot of research. And so I put it aside and, you know, kind of waited to, to be able to write this book. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then there were a lot of years where um, the world and America in particular, I think, did not want to hear about the Vietnam War. You know, they wanted to sort of move on and books, movies, everything about Vietnam was really kind of out. So I just waited. And it wasn't until actually the pandemic um, that I was, you know, in lockdown in the United States um, right after I had turned in the four winds. And, you know, life was very small. Um at that moment, because there was nowhere to go. There was nothing open. I live on a very small island. And so we were just kind of, you know, hunkered down. And I was watching on the news, of course, um, what was going on with our nurses and doctors and medical personnel and uh, the obvious trauma and exhaustion that they were experiencing during the pandemic. And I looked at all of that and sort of put it together in my head. And I said, this is the moment to write about the Vietnam War again. Um, it, it all felt very close. It felt very relevant. Um, like I said earlier, you know, America is really divided right now. And so it was just, it was like, this was the moment. So yes, I had been thinking about it for decades and finally put it down on paper yeah and that's such a good point actually because it's it's such a um an appreciation of healthcare staff and so our main character is a nurse and yeah it, it really makes you appreciate them so much more so I can imagine why perhaps you gave Frankie that role in the book because of everything that was going on at the time yeah absolutely yeah. and 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 sort of an awareness I think across the board in what we ask of our healthcare professionals in times of crisis um, and what we ask of our veterans. So, you know, both of those were um, just really felt very important at the time mm. that I started writing this, which was 2020. And of course, like, you know, during a period as well where PTSD wasn't even a term that had been coined yet. And the experiences that the nurses and doctors were being exposed to had their own kinds of trauma associated with them. And speaking of our main character, Frances or Frankie, she truly was just a formidable woman. In my mind, she is real and her character is her whole journey is so believable. And she really is a very different woman to the from the beginning of the book to who she was is at the end of the book which is perhaps not surprising because it is written over a 20-year period but you really get the sense of her changing character happening very slowly but there also being these very pivotal moments which do drastically have a big effect on her in the long term and I think you know that's largely due to the fact that Frankie represents so many women as you say who lived through Vietnam but were were written out of the narrative so how did Frankie's character evolve during the writing process for you? Well you know, it was interesting because what I really went into this novel wanting to show um, as much as anything, I think, was 
the war and what the war, how the war was experienced by the people at home as well. And, you know, how America sort of evolved in this 20 year period. And so Frankie really begins as this, you know, bright eyed, naive, idealistic young woman who is raised in a in an affluent community in Southern California, kind of a bubble community. It's a small island near San Diego. And she, like so many of her generation, has been raised on the stories of her family's sacrifice and commitment to their country via, you know, World War II. And so her father is a big, you know, military supporter and the whole Coronado Island is a big military town. And so, you know, when she she volunteers to go to war to serve her country, she expects to be treated in a certain way, um, given how she's been raised. And she learns very quickly that it's different for women, first of all. Um, and also Vietnam was a different war. And so there you know, she sort of learns over the course of her life and the course of her service, you know, the first thing she learns is, shockingly, that the government is lying to them about the Vietnam War. And so she's over there, she's risking her lives, the the young men of her generation are dying in her arms, and she's seeing the false narrative that's being told in her country. Um, which, you know, makes her a little less idealistic, a little more angry. Um, it it begins sort of this change in her. And, and then she comes home and like so many Vietnam vets, she is expected to disappear into the landscape and pretend that she was never there because it's such an unpopular war. Um, but even more than the men, the women disappeared because even the other vets and the VA, uh, the Veterans Administration, nobody was addressing the women that were there. And, and as you point out, PTSD wasn't, you know, diagnosed then, it wasn't a thing, it wasn't, wasn't what people were talking about. But even sort of the, the emotional consequences of war were very strictly aligned with, were you in combat? And you know, her answer is no, I wasn't in combat. I think if you read the book, you'll feel differently about her experiences there, you know. And so it's it's really this evolution of her from this naive young woman to really what I think of as a, a kick-ass nurse, which you say I can say here now. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's this, you know, this kick-ass nurse who comes home with all of these skills and a whole different mindset and finds that again she is relegated to the shadows and and has to learn how to deal with her PTSD. And I think even more than her PTSD, her her loss of idealism hmm. and her her loss of her sense of self over there. And fortunately, she has some really good girlfriends. And I think one of the the real hallmarks of this book is the power of female friendship and how, you know, we can carry each other through. And she and her girlfriends, you know, not only ultimately survive and thrive, but become, you know, powerful women who I think understand and accept their own flaws and weaknesses. Yeah. 
definitely and we we're going to circle back to female friendship you better believe it it's a big topic that we love to talk about here um but on the I want to just dive a bit more into the fact that for this book you're really getting bang for your buck because we are in the war in Vietnam at the beginning and you learn so much about it. like us as the reader are thrown straight into it as well and like you cannot believe that this naive young woman who has just come here on a whim because her brother enrolled in the war as well is having to administer very tricky medical procedures in the dark whilst bombs are going off like it's very minimal as a very minimal experience nursing exactly so she's thrust into it and so you as the reader are very much there with her and you're learning so much about the war and you see her grow over that time and build these friendships and relationships and learn more about it and then I was really shocked when her time at the wall came to an end I was like but there's still loads of book left where are we going with this (laughs) and then you get this whole other novel in this novel where you learn about that piece in America that you were talking about and about how what a different place it was when she came back to it and how the attitudes had changed and you know she goes off because she wants to be on her father's wall of heroes and she's not and she can't understand why people aren't recognizing that any women were there when she was there and she has friends that were there. And it's it's shocking. And it makes the reader so angry that you feel Frankie's fury. And I wondered, you know, in creating that world about America when she came back, were you ever afraid of the reception that the, the book might generate in America? Because obviously we're British, so we don't actually learn much about this war in our in our history. Uh, neither do we. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's been really a, a side answer here. It's been really interesting, the responses that the book is getting, because it really sort of strikes each generation a little bit differently. Yeah. You know, the generation just above me um, loves that sort of someone is writing about this time period in their lives and and how upended they were. And yet when I look at, you know, people who are younger than me, Americans, my daughter-in-law, you know, uh, my son, they know almost nothing about the Vietnam War. Like, you know, Platoon, Apocalypse Now, there's a couple of movies out there, but they don't know much at all. And so I think it is, um, it, it's teaching a lot of people a lot of things. And one of the consistent responses is, yes, it is making people very angry mm. about how the vets were treated when they came home. And and that was really a huge part of why I wrote the book. Um, as you know from the acknowledgments, I was in elementary school during this. And my one of my closest friends, um, her father served in Vietnam and he was shot down and missing in action. And so we wore these POW bracelets, which are, you know, throughout the book. And the idea was we put on these bracelets and we wore them until the name on the bracelet came home. And and a lot of people wore them, you know, and I wore this for years and years and years and years. And I was a teenager by the time the war was over. So so I had this experience of my friend's dad who was serving. I was seeing the protests. I was seeing the nightly news and the body count and 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 watching the the tide in the country turn anti-war, you know, as a child. 
And then I saw them come home. I saw the vets come home and I saw how they were treated because they were my friend's dads. Mm. And so that has stayed with me. And I've, I've written about it, you know, in other sidelight books, because it always, even as a kid, it made me angry um, that we would ask this of, you know, of our service people and then treat them this way, you know, on the way home or when they come home. And frankly, I've written about it in a book called Homefront. It's something that um, in terms as a society, in terms of giving people access to health and health care and emotional care and, and help when they come home, we need to do better. And so that was always part of why I wrote this book. Um, was I nervous that it would make um, readers angry? Honestly, in the modern landscape, you worry about that with every book yeah. because we now with, you know, this rise of social media, everybody has an opinion and everybody gets to state it. And, you know, there's people on the fringes of everything who want to chime in and, and talk to you or tell you what they think about your books. So I wasn't overly, I guess, concerned about that. I was more concerned um, that the, the vets themselves, that the women nurses, that they felt that I had, you know, portrayed them accurately and that I had told their story well, because like you said, their story has been so largely forgotten. Mm. And I felt a real sense of responsibility in bringing this story to the world because, you know, as you see in the book and as you see in the news, um, vets are no longer with us. You know, there were a lot of the, the nurses whose memoirs I read and relied upon have passed away from cancer or you know, something else. So I was really, it felt just really important to tell their story while they were alive and while they could share it then with their family. Gosh, there really is injustices at every possible <laughs> angle to do with this war. And yeah, the the health repercussions on vets and um, who, who were in action from Agent Orange to Napalm and you know, there are so many tearjerker moments throughout this book and, and it's a big echo to have some tissues at hand when you're reading it, as with many of your books. <laughs> um, but one specific moment which comes to mind for me and my reading experience was the first time Frankie has to assist an amputation of a little girl's arm when she visits one of the villages in, in Vietnam. <laughs> I can see you shuddering. Yeah, <laughs> and although they don't speak the same language, the the little girl's brother gives Frankie a stone to say thank you. And it sort of becomes this talisman for Frankie. And she carries it with her throughout her whole, for a lot of her uh, experience in Vietnam before giving it over to somebody else. And it's a sort of reminder to her of that she's doing good and a little girl might grow into adulthood one day because of her. Um, and we like to give our listeners, particularly for books like this, where, you know, we're trying to encourage pre-orders because they're not out yet, a little flavor of some of the scenes. Is there a particular scene that is your favorite or was your favorite to write? Oh, gosh. A big question, uh, I know. You know, 
this book, I loved this book and I loved Frankie in every version of it, which there were a lot of versions of it in, um, in every segment, because I just, like you pointed out earlier, I loved her evolution. Um, she just grew so, so much in the novel. And in the beginning, and one of the things that drives her throughout much of the novel, which causes her a lot of issue, is she needs approval. You know, she needs people to say, you did a good job, you did a good thing. And with regard to the Vietnam War, um, there was none of that. And so I would say that some of my favorite scenes occur in the end of the book as, as Frankie begins to come into her own and realize that it is her own opinion of herself that matters most of all. And then when, when she realizes that, she begins to use her voice to help other women who are on the same journey that she's on. And, you know, it in, in becomes... Uh, works on becoming a counselor and talking to other vets and really sort of empowers herself and finds her own own voice. So I love that. Um, as far as scenes, there is a scene, there's a love story scene, I guess, in combat where um, you actually referenced it earlier. There's this there's a couple of moments that I love. One is when she's throw, she's in the deep end, like in the the mass unit, and they are operate on, on operating on um, wounded soldiers, and they're under mortar attack. And so, you know, they're in this Quonset hut, and they're being rained on with shells, and the lights go out. And they drop the, you know, the operating table to the floor and Frankie's literally lying on the floor with a, a flashlight in her mouth assisting in surgery. And by now she knows what she's doing. And so I loved that scene. And then there's a moment like that where they're under fire and at the end of it, she, you know, comes out of the OR and the man that she she is in love with is waiting for her. And he just sort of, you know, takes her back to her Quonset hut and 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 allows her to sleep because he's kind of watching over her. So I loved writing uh, those scenes as well. Yeah, I mean, across all of your books, oh, you write everything so well. The stories are really great. The friendship's really great. The relationship's really great. It's just oh, oh, brilliant. And so I, I definitely like as you're describing those scenes, I'm right there again. And they're like so vivid to me. Um, but let's let's talk about female friendships because this is, it's a story of women in the war, but you, as you say, like at the heart of it, it is a story about friendship too. And Ethel and Barb are real lifelines for Frankie in the war and then when she comes home from the war. And it got me thinking about how friendship is something you write so powerfully about. I mean, the first book, as, I, as I've already said to you, the first book I read of yours was Firefly Lane. And the story of Tully and Kate spans decades. And whilst their lives spin off in different directions, their friendship is a constant. And I mean, I would say that each of them is who they are as a person because of that friendship. And that probably rings true for Frankie as well. Um, you know, she's able to feel sure in her decisions by the end of the book because she's had these, these amazing lifelines. 
Um, so on Firefly Lane, at present, I've read the book and Lauren got so jealous she watched the series. So just want to say <laughs> quick congratulations on having your book adapted and wondered what your involvement in that was. Oh, oh the involvement in Firefly Lane? Yeah. You know, um, honestly, in, in the great scheme of things, I was just a fan. Um, I, I, you know, I spoke to them a bit in the beginning and, um, they kind of, you know, went off and, and, and did their thing. I absolutely loved Catherine Heigl and Ben Lawson and, and Sarah Chalk as, you know, the trio. And I thought, um, the, the young girls who played young Kate and young Tully, uh, were great. And it's funny because even though, you know, I'm the writer of it, I'm still, like a viewer too, you know? Mm. And so here, and it comes along 10, 15 years after I've written the book, whatever it is. And it was just so great to see a series about two women that you believed their friendship every moment. I mean, through the ups and downs, through what was going on, maybe you're mad at one, maybe you're mad at the other, but you believed it. And that was really the, the heartbeat of the novel, the heartbeat of the show. And it's the same with the women. And I think it's because, I mean, I just believe so clearly that that in a lot of ways, our best friends are our soulmates as much as our husbands. You know, they are the people who are with us year in and year out, who we call when we're having a bad day or a good day or to celebrate and I love, I guess, the transparency of a really great female friendship. Yeah, and that comes through. So it must be so nice <laughs> yeah, for you to actually then be able to see it on, on TV. And I'm actually like probably the most skeptical person about adaptations because I fall so deeply in love with the book that I'm like, Gosh. nothing can live up to this. However, I would really love to see so many of your books adapted because from reading them, I I get immersed in the, in the landscapes that you describe, you know, particularly The Great Alone. The book is just as breathtaking as I imagine the Alaskan landscape is in real life. And I, of course, read the author's note in that. So I know that your parents are <laughs> Alaska. Um, but I wondered, uh, you know, with the women as well, but maybe if you wrote it in COVID, not as easily done, but generally across all of your writing, do you visit the places you write about? And if so, what do you do to immerse yourself in that place of this, um, for the story that you hope to tell? Um, I visit, I certainly visit the place if I can. Um, interestingly enough, uh, with the women, because of lockdown, yeah. I was not able to actually go to Vietnam. And so I had to rely on, you know, research and, and I had a lot of, um, former Vietnam vets read the book and sort of, you know, give me input on that kind of thing. Um, I think it helps a bit with regard to the women and not having gone there that I lived on Kauai in the Hawaiian islands for many, many years. And they do a lot of filming on Kauai for, uh, for stand in for Vietnam. So I really know like a bit about that kind of climate. So that helped. Um, but generally, yes, I try to go to, obviously I have a family connection, as you point out to Alaska. I've been going there, you know, every summers for years, um, love, love, love it. 
and um, and I went on a you know a big research trip for the four winds. So I try to. I think interestingly enough, it's not as it's not as required as you think. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that what I do is create landscapes in my head. So what I'm trying, you know, not to do is to be inaccurate. Um, but once my mind starts imagining places, um, that sort of is how it goes from there. Well, that's Although I will say I am, I am now like dedicated to setting my books in places I want to visit. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> After having written, uh, the Nightingale, I remember I said to my husband, you know, we're just going to have to go to Paris. That's all mm. there is. Mm. And, nice to be you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I guess- and I said, to your point about the women and and it, you know you could go to vietnam but it's not going to be a war zone and for right. the four winds you know you can go to the places but there's not going to be a dust storm or you know it's not going to be the same so yeah I can, it must be as much as you can visit somewhere there's still a lot of work that would have to go into creating you still have it to, you still have to make it up you know yeah. and, and i tend to write um i really like it when the setting is a character that is you what know. it is and, and that yeah. so that means you know that's why I guess I I fall on imagination because yes I could like you said I could go to Vietnam I could go to play coup or whatever um, and it would just be you know grasslands in a village and so I still have to you know create it all in my mind as well and you know I like to say I do the research so you don't have to you know um, <laughs> to sort of give you the the biggest most immediate most emotional picture of everything that i read so that you can as the reader step into that moment and think to yourself i know what frankie felt i would feel the same thing yeah it's incredible um i can obviously see your wonderful backdrop of some of your uh, yeah. very extensive backlist i think this is your 27th book. Is that right? I, I, I'm i going to go with that. Thank you. Because people keep asking me and I just keep saying over 20. Because <laughs> I haven't. It's it's right around there, I think. Yes. That's incredible. Um, There's just too many to count. Um, have you found both the industry and your own way of writing evolve over the course of 27 books? I'm oh. sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been interesting because I think what I've done is, you know, when you, when you start, so I started writing when I was, I'm going to say 27, maybe something like that really started writing. So it encompasses my whole life. And in a way it, it encompasses my generation, you know, the women who came of age with me and, and that was really the driving force behind Firefly Lane. I remember saying to my editor, I want to write a book about my generation, my music, my clothes, you know, everything that we experienced and the great push and pull that my generation felt between stay-at-home moms and and working moms, which appears to still exist, you know, there's still it's still a difficult thing for women to decide. And from that moment, really from Firefly on, as I grew older and as my, you know, my son, you know, said, please, mom, stop coming to school, please. Um, 
And I started looking outwardly more instead of at me and my generation and what we were going through. I started to look at women in general and what women had gone through. And I started realizing how little of our history had made it into the history books and how little we had been taught about women across the board. And so that became um, this new sort of focus of mine for many years now, more than a decade, I guess, to, to shine a light on these women's lost stories so that we can be part of the narrative history uh, narrative of history. And so that the women, you know, coming up behind me can realize how strong women have been for how long. And, and I think also to understand that the fight isn't over. You know, I would have thought by my age that uh, a lot of these women's issues would have been resolved, but a lot of them are still out there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that the, the next generation can like pick up that fight yeah yeah if you could um, fix it all for us that'd be great thanks next generation yeah, wouldn't it <laughs> and so I'm going to ask you an evil and probably impossible question but Ooh. as I said to you when you joined the call I have loved since last year reading as many of your books as I can <laughs> and exploring your backlist and so I just wondered of those 27 books do you have a favorite I want to know if it's one I've already read or if it's the one that I should bump up the queue and read next <laughs> You know, I it, it sounds um, it sounds unlikely, but honestly, my favorite is the women. Um, so that's yeah. So I'll go with that one. But to be more transparent, I will go back through my backlist and tell you sort of other ones because you know I know a lot of writers think like every book is their baby, <clears throat> everyone is beautiful, and. I'm not that way. I'm a, I'm as picky a reader of my own books as I am of everybody else's. So I will say that the books that have um, stood the test of time for me, that have lasted for me personally, are Firefly Lane, um, The Nightingale, The Women, um, and Winter Garden. I'm going to give those sort of the that's the top tier for me. Now you'll notice I don't say the great alone. <clears throat> and this makes people very angry when <laughs> I, I fail to mention uh, the great alone. I, and I don't know why that is. I would put it like fifth. Okay. I mean, fifth is still good. <laughs> and I am so pleased I asked because the next two books of yours that I physically have on my shelf are the a Winter Garden and The Nightingale. So thank you. I've, I'm clearly chosen Perfect. very well. <laughs> and before we let you go, we'd love to hear what you like reading and would love if you could leave our readers with a book reco of your own. Ah, okay. Um, you know, I'll read almost anything. Um, obviously, I read a lot of historical fiction. I read a lot of, um, I guess, I still love big epic novels with women at the center. And I don't care if they're fantasy um, or if they're contemporary or if they're historical, but those are really my favorite kinds of books. The book I consistently have recommended for the last decade is a book called Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. I mean, I think it is just, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful historical novel 
with, um, I mean, it's a love story. It's a mystery. It's a big, um, a big canvas, a little bit of magic. So I love that. Um, currently on my nightstand right now is the new Chris Whitaker book. He wrote a book. Um, he debuted a couple of years ago with a book called We Begin at the End. And I think this book is called All the Colors of the Dark. And um, I just can't wait to dive into that. I, I am loving it. And I loved a book this year called All the Sinners Bleed, which is a very dark um, kind of American Gothic kind of book that probably isn't for everybody, um, but I really loved it. Thank you. We'll add all of those to the show notes. So thank <laughs> yes, you. definitely. Um, I'm gutted that we have to let you go because I'm having the time <laughs> of my life. Um, but listeners, please pre-order The Women. It's absolutely brilliant. It's Kristen's favourite uh, and it publishes in February. So if you get it now, then you'll have it as soon as it publishes. And Kristen, thank you so much for your time and for answering all of our questions. Thank you so much, you guys. I can't wait to um, get back to the UK and visit you guys. I'd love to do a signing. We'll work on that. Yes, well, definitely. If you enjoyed today's episode, like, subscribe, leave a rating and review. It costs you nothing, but it genuinely means the world to us. And don't forget to share our podcast with your reading buddy because they might like to listen as well. And if you don't already, then follow us on Instagram at Book Recos for, funnily enough, more book recommendations. See you next week. We'll be here.